What's going on, everybody? Jorge Aquino coming to you live and direct. It's Tormenting Tarmac, baby. It's the podcast where the enthusiast never dies. Coming, of course, to you live and direct right here from the west side of Phoenix. And my guest is coming to you just outside of Houston, Texas, right there in Sealy. Ladies and gentlemen, I've I've had I've had the privilege of having some really great guests on this podcast, and I'm incredibly proud and humbled to say that and blessed. And today it just continues this trajectory. This is this individual works for a brand that I have held in very high regard for a really long time. And it's a brand that represents the United States car culture in such a amazing way. And in two years of podcasting, if you would have asked me whether or not I would go ahead and have a podcast with this individual representing the company that we're representing today, I would have told you you're absolutely nuts. But apparently, uh, in September of 2023, that's what we're able to go ahead and do. So I'm not mad at it. Alex Royce is the chief operating officer over at Hennessy Performance in Sealy, Texas. And he's with me here today. What's up, dude? How are you? Jorge, thanks for having me. Pumped to be here. Excited dude. to chat some cars. Dude, I am ex- I'm thrilled. I am thrilled. Um, I have been uh, a fan of the Hennessy Performance brand um, since I was a teenager. You know, um, seeing from what uh, would have been, I believe, fourth gen Vipers. You guys have worked on the the G on four GTs. You guys have done so many different things, and of course, now where we are today in 2023, <laughs> the Venom F5 is a thing, and it is a cool, cool thing. And there's so many different things that I want to go ahead and talk to you about. And I'm just, I'm very grateful that you're able to go ahead and spend some time with me this afternoon. Um, I have so many questions, but I guess where I'll want to go ahead and start with you, Alex, is, and if anybody follows Alex on social media, which I think you should, um, of course, he works with Hennessy, but his, his one of his major loves happens to be J- JDM. So I have to start there, man, because you recently picked up what would now be your third Mark IV Supra. I'm a, I love the Supra. I think it's a fantastic car. It's one of the greatest Toyotas ever made. It's one of the... that little mini holy trinity that jdm has of course you know skyline supras rx7s if you want to go ahead and include the nsx too what has it been that after all this time because you've been with hennessy for quite a while but your heart still lands on a mark IV supra how does that happen yeah good question i am a car guy at heart through and through love all cars uh am curious about anything and everything cars I have been since I was a kid since birth was always just obsessed. Um, I would, my mom would actually come home from work and I was probably, you know, at my, or some of my earliest memories, my mom comes home from work. I run outside to greet her probably three or four years old and I jump in her lap and we drive around the neighborhood and I'm just, uh, you know, driving the steering wheel, she's doing the pedals. So like just totally obsessed with driving Yeah, and have been blessed to be in the automotive industry for the last 10 years, which has been very awesome. Lots of great opportunities have learned so much. And throughout all that, the uh, Fast and the Furious movie, the original one, of course, mainly the first three, but I had the first one on VHS and I have very vivid memories being a little kid, getting it on VHS and watching it and just being obsessed with it. And that probably kicked off that, that trend of like, Oh, cool. JDM stuff, Supra skyline, like cool stuff like that. Mitsubishi eclipse Evo. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's probably where it originates from. And then I got super into American stuff when I started working with Hennessy. I mean, I've owned a few different JDM cars. Like I had um, a Subaru STI back in the day and then uh, a few Supras now, but I've also had a couple American things. I had a CTSV wagon, really great car. Yes. Um, But yeah, I would say the JDM stuff probably originates from fast and the furious. And then being with Hennessy for about 10 years now, I've been so surrounded by American stuff. Mm-hmm. So American stuff is awesome and I love it to death, but I'm, I'm surrounded by it all day and I get to drive it all day, which is awesome. Very blessed by that. But the stuff that I want to own on in my personal time, I feel like I tend to want to do things that are away from my work. So that's kind of where I've really gone deep on Supra's. 
that makes total sense. It's so funny because you, when you're surrounded by that sort of stuff, you tend to want to like want to cleanse your palate in a way. It's almost mm-hmm. like if you're a chef, like if you've been making burgers all day and whatnot at, at a really nice like burger joint and whatnot, you don't want to go home and then just eat a burger. You're probably going to go ahead and walk, want to make yourself maybe some chicken or some type of exactly. seafood or something like that. That makes yeah. total sense, man. Um, you've been with Hennessy for 10 years. Um, you know, John Hennessy has been such a, a massive part of American car culture for the last three decades. For those people who might be living under a rock, Alex, um, because if you don't know Hennessy performance within car culture, then well, we're, we're here to educate you today. Let's um, do it. If, you, if you could go ahead and give an elevator pitch yeah. of what is and what's been Hennessy performance for the last like 30 plus years, what would you say? Yeah, so I'll give a, a an extended elevator pitch. So Hennessy Performance makes fast cars go faster. And started in the early 90s, 1991, John Hennessy has a habit for racing cars. And he quickly realizes that that's an expensive habit and his bank account is dwindling. And he thinks about how do I fund my racing habits? So he has, you know, his modified race car and he realizes he can modify other people's cars and get paid for it. So he starts that kind of as a hobby to fund his racing habit. And then it really just started exploding uh, pretty quickly. He started off with JDM. So he also has some JDM roots with the Mitsubishi 3000 GT, some stuff like that in the 90s but really caught fire with the Gen 1, Gen 2 Vipers. Mm -hmm. So really caught some steam, really started building a brand, and then kind of started running from there where the brand was getting bigger throughout the 2000s and the 10s and started modifying different things, kind of pivoting and doing um, American-made Corvettes and Camaros and, uh, you know, CTSVs, Mustangs, kind of the whole gamut of things. We uh, were early on the GTR, R35 platform. So really have been through a lot of different vehicle paths in terms of what we modify over the years. And then in the last 10 years, uh, especially starting with the Gen 1 Raptor, the truck and SUV business has really taken flight. And now mm-hmm. it's it's probably a, a majority of our modification business is trucks and SUVs. And we just kind of go with what the market wants. I mean, we we always want to start with a, a good platform. So we're always going to start with the top tier vehicles, the vehicles that are already nice and already have a good engine. And we're going to just kind of up the level from there. So we like to take things from 10s to 11s. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the short of the Hennessy performance side. And then we have two other sides of the business one of them being Hennessy Special Vehicles, where we are a boutique, low-volume hypercar builder, and uh, we have a car called the Venom F5. It's about a $2.5 million, 1,800-horsepower hypercar, uh, right around 3,000 pounds. And the whole point of that car is to go 300 miles an hour plus and to just be the overall fastest car in the world. So we are diligently working on breaking records. And then we have another side of the business called Tuner School, where we teach people how to modify cars. That's it's a it's expansive. It's expansive, but I think the growth speaks for itself, Alex. It's been, um, you know, to go from John making cars go fast back in '91 to go ahead and 30 years later. I mean, the the Venom F5 gets on unve- you guys officially unveiled it last year's Quail in 2022, um, and of course the Venom GT has been around for, for a few years. I remember seeing one of the first videos and I think it was, uh, I think it was the smoking tire, um, that went ahead and did the Venom GT Great that, video. Oh my God. Um, it's amazing. Actually. It, so excuse me. It wasn't this, I think it was, I think it was, it was Matt Farah, but he did it for the drive. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it was, I saw, I've seen that video multiple times and oh, yeah. I've never seen I've seen, I've been a fan of Matt Farah for a while and I've never seen him get out of a car and be like, what in the hell did I just experience? Yeah. Um, so we've gone from Venom GT to now Venom F5 and there's, there's some similarities, but 
it's radically different what you guys were able to go ahead and pull off with Venom F5 now. So uh, let me start with Venom GT real quick, because for those who don't know, and I want and I want to be very careful with, with, with how I explain this. And of course, you're here, so you, you'll probably do a better job. But when you guys first built it, it was by technicality. Was that off an Elise or Exige frame? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Venom GT was the first iteration of what John wanted to build in a supercar hypercar. So John had a dream many, many years ago. He wanted to build his own car. And in 2008, 2009, when that when the Venom GT program started, the the know-how, the budget, the the connections, the manufacturing, that wasn't there yet. But the dream was. And the, the way that we were able to start and achieve kind of that momentum of, the, momentum of the Venom program in general was the Venom GT, which was based on a Lotus Elise Exige chassis. And that really was its Achilles heel. It was what it's, it is still one of the coolest, best cars ever. But unfortunately, it's probably one of the most underappreciated cars ever. It's, uh, you know, it's a target top manual transmission over 1,000 horsepower, 1,244 horsepower, absolute monster. Um, one of the most ridiculous raw driving experiences that exists even to this day, 10 years later. And uh, but yeah, it just had it just had its Achilles heel, and and that was that was what it was, and that was okay. We learned a ton from that program. We sold and delivered cars. We uh, we had a great time, and those cars are going up in value and legendary to this day. And we, um, you know, those original customers are still with us in terms of like, we we love to, uh, to to keep in touch with all those customers. So everything that we learned from from probably 2009 to 2013, 2014 uh, started brewing of like, okay, we we did this first car and it was great, but we we know what its downfalls were. So let's do it again, but let's do it right. And there was a lot of thoughts brewing in John's brain and he had a mentor of his that kind of, kind of put a chip on his shoulder that really motivated the F5. He was motivated anyways, but the, I would say maybe the final chip on his shoulder was a, mo a mentor that said, you're never going to get the respect you deserve until you build your own car mm -hmm. fully from the ground up. And that was like a big gut punch to John, but he uh, he took it on the chin and that's kind of what kicked off the Venom F5. So Venom F5 is its own completely bespoke ground up hypercar. Over 3000 new parts were designed and engineered and manufactured to build the Venom F5. And it's not based on anything else. It's our engineering. It's our design. It's our manufacturing. And uh, we really like to tip our hat to that because whether we knew it or not, when we started the program, that was a massive, massive, ridiculously challenging engineering uh, challenge. <laughs> and, um, you know, it took many years of, of a lot of financial investment and soul investment and blood, sweat and tears to really make the car happen. So 2017, the Venom F5 program started kind of rolling and catching some momentum. And 2020 was when we first launched the Venom F5 uh, with a kind of an initial prototype production car. And then production didn't really start until middle of 2021. And then mm -hmm. 2022, we had our first full year of production where we built and delivered 12 cars. Yay. So we'll do the same this year, uh, another 12. And uh, yeah, F5 is rolling full speed, which is really cool. And if you haven't seen the Venom F5, you should definitely go to the internet right now and go look at it because it's pretty yes. wicked. It's insanely wicked. And again, you look at it and you see glimpses of Venom GT, but it is so much different. I think personally, respectfully, Venom F5 looks better aesthetically than Venom GT. Um, yeah, and I, and I, I, I can only imagine that you guys were saying, listen, because you look at Venom GT and you see a little bit of Lotus in there, but it's still radically different from a Lotus. Whereas you go ahead and look at F at F5 and man, is it like, it's, it's, it's its own thing. It is its own thing. Um, yeah. you guys did a, was it, a, is it a dual clutch in it? 
Or did no, you it's a do- single clutch seven speed, so it's really the only thing that can handle, handle that much power. horsepower. So it's yeah, it's a little over eighteen hundred horsepower. Um, the transmission shifts really nicely, though. That took a lot of time of calibration. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, a dual clutch would never be able to handle that much power. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like crazy fast. I mean, I could never even describe with words how bonkers it is. And we've got customers that own every car under the sun. They've got Chirons and Veyrons and Konasegs and everything. Mm-hmm. And I have yet to meet anybody that has comparisons to the F5. Everybody gets out of the car and they're like, that was crazy. I mean, right. people even that that ride in the Remock Nevera and then they ride in the F5, they're like, no, that's crazier. Really? Because so, that, yeah. that those, I mean, Nevera is crazy. Like Nevera's crazy the Nevera it is crazy. It, it's yeah. super crazy fast. Um, and it, it's very impressive technology. I'd love to to drive one and ride in one. Um, but I think with the thing with EV is that it once you do it a few times, like once you drive it fast a few times, I feel like it runs out of soul to keep you interested. <laughs> so my only reference for fast EV compared to the Nevera is the Tesla Plaid. So it's a tough comparison. It's not a necessarily fair comparison, but you know when you launch the Tesla Plaid five or ten times, it's like okay, cool. It's a like one that, trick pony. Like Exactly. It's a one trick pony. And I know the Nevera can like drive on a road course. So it's not necessarily a one trick pony on the Nevera, but, but like, I don't, I I think for me, I don't care how fast an EV could get, even if it's zero to 60 and 0.1 seconds and you black out from G from G lock, it it just doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have emotion. It doesn't have character when you, when you drive it. So yeah, I mean, going back to that five, F5 is crazy. I wish I could share it with everybody, but it's it's got soul and emotion and just raw character. We really tried hard. So the Venom GT, if you had a scale of the raw scale to the refined scale, and on the on the side of raw, you would have like Ferrari F40 Venom GT, complete raw animals, no traction control. They will kill you if you don't respect them. They will put you in the ditch. They're crazy fast, manual transmission, blah, blah, blah. And then over on the refined scale, you would have like new 4GT, McLaren 720, um, you know, fast supercar, hypercars like Bugatti Chiron. I mean, a Chiron is really fast, but so refined. It's a beautiful Extremely. car. It's mm-hmm. it's quiet. It's luxurious. It rides amazing. It shifts very smooth, etc. We wanted to be right in the middle of that scale with the Venom F5. And we really feel like we've achieved that. It's it's raw enough to where you have to respect the car, uh, but it's not so raw that it will kill you, right? So it'll keep you safe, but it, you still have to respect it and use your skills. And like, you know, my grandma can't necessarily drive it um drive it fast if she if least. she if, if she could if she did though like <laughs> shout out to grandma Roy. right shout out else. shout out to grandma yeah i mean everybody can drive the venom f5 of course but you have to have some skills right yeah um but it's not so refined that it's boring it's not so refined that it has no soul so we really tried hard to put it right in the middle of that scale and i think we succeeded for sure i mean i've heard um i've heard venom gt and um now remind me, I I want to say I believe it's an LS based V8 that you guys went ahead and used. If I'm not mistaken, did you? Uh, was it the same for the uh, F5? I believe it is. Is not. Yeah, so it's all built in house. It does have some GM architecture, but it's like mm-hmm. so far beyond that. It's just ridiculous. Exactly. Powertrain's really capable of about three thousand horsepower, uh, which is yeah, I mean bonkers. Um, we obviously don't deliver it with three thousand horsepower. We want it to be very safe and reliable at the the uh you know comfortable 1800 horsepower that's so, pretty comfortable i'd say yeah it's a it's a purebred american v8 with yeah. big turbos and uh, a really nice sound for sure and the only reason why i was bringing it up not necessarily because i wanted to say that it was oh yeah it's an ls base but the thing is that and you pointed that out it's so far from an ls or lt series v8 that at some point like I don't even consider that like you can't say, oh, that engine came from a Corvette or from a Camaro because it's it sounds so crazy different. It performs so crazy different. It's power delivery. You guys have have built it to be completely different. Like 
it really is lack of a better word completely bespoke that's the best yep. way to go ahead and to to really there was uh i forget the exact number but out of that 3000 new parts that were made for the f5 a lot of those were engine parts mm. like brand new like we had to manufacture and design and engineer them that's nuts man i'm i'm curious to know through from that entire project from when you decided when when john and the team decided hey we're going to go ahead and make the f5 what do you think was the hardest part in that entire thing was it the, the you know assembling a new frame for it or what would you think yeah i mean there's definitely no part that was easy or cheap sure. everything is expensive and whatever you think that you're gonna spend in engineering and designing and developing a car just multiply it by two or three mm -hmm. um i think for me i'm not an engineer i'm not a designer uh but i think i was very surprised to you know I, this was my first new car program to be involved in uh, as well like, as a lot of our team members. It was their first time being involved in a, in a program like this, but I was surprised to see how difficult it was to get the car from 90% to 99% in terms of like development. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the actual like Venom F5 was running and driving for like maybe call it three years, right? From from having no physical parts to driving three years. Okay. But then getting the car to where we're like really happy to deliver it to customers where it's like refined and developed and drives around nicely. That was another two years, it's nuts. which is crazy to think about. I mean, if I'm not an engineer. And if you would have asked me before all this, I would have guessed, oh, of course, like when you have the first prototype, we should be able to get production going a year later. Like, why not? But mm -hmm. man, it is crazy. There's, we have some insanely smart, dedicated, talented people on our team that, that are just, uh, they're smart. I mean, they, we, we spent a lot of time designing, engineering, calibrating, fine tuning the car to make sure that it performs like a normal car when you need it to. And that that's a really difficult task. There's so many weird, small things that that uh, big OEMs do, that, that mm -hmm. cars do, um, that are difficult to implement if you've never done them. So things like, like oh, you got to make sure that the parking brake automatically engages when you shut the engine off. Mm. Like that was a thing that we didn't implement right at the beginning because that wasn't like on our brains. We didn't have the experience. And then we're, we're doing testing, we're comparing and benchmarking with other cars. And we're like, oh wait, we need to do this simple little thing. Right. And now obviously we know like on the next car, we know to do that on the first iteration. So anyways, just a little example of like, man, the, uh, doing your own car is expensive and challenging. For sure. I mean, I didn't even think about that, but you're so right. Especially because like at that stage of, uh, um, bespokeness and 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 boutique stuff. You you think to yourself like, well, the will our client like a handbrake or is it better to go with an actual you know uh, power brake and whatnot? And by the way, that's one thing I can only imagine, especially because you know the uh, F5 is basically going worldwide, right? So you know figuring out what tunes of like what's it gonna run on because like maybe in texas it'll run on a 93 octane but maybe california customer might want a 91 arizona might run a 91 you know or like maybe in in europe like they use the yeah. a 99 octane even or higher uh and whatnot like how was and uh, forgive me because i'm not a tuner but you guys are so maybe that what was would you say like that was a little bit easier because of the fact of like you do a lot of race tunes for a lot of your customers cars yeah i mean the nice thing is we we have a lot of the talented people already built into our company so mm -hmm. you know i mean when it came to calibrating the vehicle it was still always a challenge but yeah that's definitely a strong suit of ours nice um well Again, the F5 has been an absolute crazy thing to talk about, but there's so much more over at Hennessy that you are involved in and and whatnot. And I'm I'm curious to know because now you now that you've been there for a decade, now that you are as high up as you are within the company, which is like amazing to me in in the coolest way. But you guys have worked on a ton of cars, 
not being the the GT and the F5. You know, you, we mentioned the you know John got started with the Viper and whatnot. I'd say since you've been in there and maybe longer, what would you say have been some of the cars that have been so critical to the to the success of Hennessy over the last few years, Alex? Yeah, great question. We we always ride with the wave of new and exciting products. So right. our customers, our clients want the newest, best, fastest, coolest, top of the top of the line stuff. So, you know, if you go back the last 10-ish years, we have we go through phases and waves of like, what's the big thing? So, you know, I'm thinking like 10 years ago, it's probably Gen 5 Camaro. Gen mm -hmm. 5 Camaro is, is ripping. We're modifying lots of Camaros. And then there's always stuff mixed in, but I'm just going to highlight kind of the bigger ones, the bigger waves. Yeah, of course. 2014 C7 comes out. We become mm -hmm. a C7 factory. We've got tons of C7s. Uh, and those last for several years. 2015, the S550 Mustang comes out. We crush the Mustang. We modify tons of Mustangs. 2016, the Z06 comes out along with the LT4. So we start mod modifying tons of those and the and just really get going on R&D for the LT4 platform. 2017, the ZL1 comes out. Mm -hmm. And also 2017, the Gen 2 Raptor comes out. So yes. The Gen 2 Raptor, you know, is, comes after a break of the 2014 Raptor. So three years with no Raptor after we modified tons of Gen 1 Raptors. So yeah. we absolutely crushed the Gen 2 Raptor game. And we, we modified so many Velociraptors. Um, it was a great, great product for us. Our customers loved it. We uh, It was great. And then also the, the Camaro with LT4, John came up with the Exorcist. So that's one of our best, coolest products of all time. Well, I definitely want to talk to you about Exorcist because that because yeah. especially since we're nearing the end of the Camaro line with Chevrolet, which breaks my heart, dude. Um, yeah. But because uh, I think that, yeah, when I think of Hennessy, I think of really fast GMs, right? So yeah. you've got you mentioned Corvettes and the Camaros and whatnot. You guys work on some. You, you guys make Escalades fast as all hell. I can't even imagine the stuff that you guys are doing with Escalade Vs right now because that thing coming out of the box with 680 horsepower. And by the way, that's Escalade V. And you guys have worked on a ton of Dodge Ram products too. I mean, you've yeah. got TRXs that you guys have made the Mammoth 1000s now to go along with the Velociraptors as a yeah. pro as a line in the product. Um, the amount of challengers and chargers that you guys have worked on with the HPE 1000s. I, I have a very big affinity for the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk. And uh, I believe that you guys have an H, uh, HPE 1000 pack for the Trackhawks. Yeah. And that, that truck, I mean, I love a TRX. I love a Raptor. I love an Escalade V. But dear God, something about the track arc. And by the way, fair play to the Durango Hellcats. But what you guys do with those things, dude, I've seen videos. And it's so, like, it's already rowdy. But you guys somehow, some way make it even, like, rowdier. It's really, it's such a cool thing. Like, I, I don't know. What can you tell? Because I've seen, I know that you've driven several of the Trackhawks because you obviously are one of the faces of the Hennessy Performance YouTube channel. I love it because you're always giving customers a ride and you're like, are you sure you're ready? And they're like, yeah, go for it. And you smash it just right there at you guys' performance track. But what do you think has been, you know, when you look at some of these product lines, like, what's the sense of like, okay, instead of just making it faster, we're going to make it faster and rowdier. What's the thought process behind that? Yeah, we, like I said, we like to make fast cars go faster. That's our slogan for Hennessy performance. And we, we take cars that are already tens and we turn them just to 11s to 12. So we want to keep all the amazing OEM engineering that already is in the car. We don't want to change anything that's already good about the car. So if the car, like for example, the ZL1, the sixth gen Camaro ZL1, it already has great brakes. It has great aerodynamics. It has a great transmission, whether it's the manual or the auto. The LT4 is a great platform. We're not like changing the fundamentals of the car. We're just turning it up. We're just turning it all up and keeping it within the realm of safety. So we do a lot of R&D to make sure 
that when you when we modify the car, it's still going to be safe, reliable, and uh, daily drivable because modifying cars is a difficult game. There's lots of people that can modify your car. Um, and there's lots of people that can do it well, but it's a tough game because, you know, if you don't stay within the limits of safety mm-hmm. quotes around safety, I mean, as far as like drivetrain safety, you can just start breaking stuff. And our clients don't necessarily want to do that. There are some people that want to modify their car and have it at the upper limits of everything. And they don't care if it breaks because they'll just build it again. Our clients, they want things that are reliable. They start up, they have fun. They take their spouse out to dinner and, you know, I mean, that's kind of the majority. They, they want reliable, great built, great service cars. Um, so that's kind of the filter that we use to modify stuff. We don't make it so rowdy that it's a race car. We don't make it so rowdy that your wife doesn't want to get in the passenger seat. Uh, but it's got to be cool and fast and sound good. I agree. I mean, there's definitely a level of sophistication that comes from the NFC performance brand. Like that's what I've been able to go ahead and tell, especially as you guys continue to one up yourselves over the last like decade, especially since you've added more Raptor TRX, like, and Grand Cherokee Trackhawks and whatnot. Like it's rowdy, but it's still a level of sophistication that's along with there. It's never like overtly crazy. It's, it's, it's just, Yeah. Perfect. Like it, it, it reaches a certain point of like, mm, you hit the point right there. That's, that's yeah. where I want it. I don't need to go any further and whatnot. We, we talked a little, you've talked, you've brought up exorcist and that to me is, I think one of the cooler projects you guys have done over the long, over the last while. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a thousand plus horsepower Camaro ZL one, um, you can still order it if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? You can still get yep. the exorcist pack for Camaro. Um, I'm curious to, to know your thoughts, Alex, as an enthusiast, you know, Camaro is coming to an end. The 2024. Yeah. 2024 is going to be the last year of the Camaro. I mean, I recently went ahead and put out a post, like putting out like a little love letter to the sixth gen. Cause I personally feel that the sixth gen Camaro is actually one of it is from a platform perspective, the best Camaro ever made, even though I love a first gen Camaro. I love a 1970 Camaro, especially Baldwin motion, Yankos, all that good stuff. But from yep. a platform, the sixth gen has been awesome. The fifth gen really got it started. As you see the last few coming from GM, and then hopefully they'll go ahead and send them on over to Hennessy for some, from some exorcist packages. What do you remember and what's your favorite thing to remember about the Camaro? Yeah, great question. I definitely agree with some of your sentiments as far as the fifth and sixth gen. The uh, I don't have a ton of Camaro experience prior to like Gen 4. Mm-hmm. So I've never really spent much time in a Gen 1, 2, 3 Camaro. Um, gen 4 is definitely not my favorite um you know it's but it not was, a lot of people's favorites i get it i i happen yeah. to actually love it i love a 98 through 02 but i'm a weird guy so i totally yeah. get it <laughs> and i and i love 90s stuff but never really loved the look of the gen 4 but i like it because it was the first one with an ls based motor so it yep. was ls1 and uh super cool kind of kicked off kind of that new era of camaro with the ls yep and that then, and the Sam. that's absolutely right yeah and then gen 5 really started picking up some cool traction. And I vividly remember uh, Transformers, the yellow Bumblebee, and it really caught fire after that. It did. So I never really was that into the SS, but when the LSA ZL1 came out, it was like, whoa, this thing is really wicked. Like this is a serious car. And we were modifying those to 750 horsepower all day long. Totally badass platform. Um, and if the sixth gen would have never come out, I would probably still really like the fifth gen, but the problem is the sixth gen was so good that I look back to the fifth gen and I'm like, Oh wow. Like that was the, the sixth gen is so much better. It makes the fifth gen feel 10 years older. It does. Uh, and the ZL one sixth gen is, is an absolute monster. 
The LT4 is a phenomenal platform, can be modified to a thousand horsepower and kept very reliable. The uh, the 10, I'm a huge manual transmission guy, but the 10 speed automatic is one of the few automatic transmissions in sports cars that I actually really like. Uh, it just drives great. It's fast. It's reliable. It bangs off gears like a dual clutch. It feels really great. Uh, the fifth gen had weird visibility issues and just the interior was just not it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the sixth gen fixed a lot of that. So sixth gen is a lot nicer to drive. I think a an automatic 10 speed ZL1 non one LE is a really nice daily driver. That would be equivalent to me of like a turbo S, you know, kind of that executive daily driving fast car. Um, and then kind of going on the one LE, the one LE is a wicked track car. I would not like it for the street. It's super stiff and bouncy. Uh, but on the track, it's an amazing car. I mean, the ZL11 LE with that wing the size of Texas, seriously, because it's a big wing that it's got on top of it, which to me, that's why I like to go ahead and I prefer regular ZL1 over it. And of course, it's a little bit softer with the suspension. Like I'm and I I, I don't want to go ahead and put words in your mouth, but I want to say that you and I are right around the same age being in like late 20s, early 30s. So like I'm kind of gotten to a point where I'm like, I don't need for my teeth to go ahead and be just falling out of my mouth every single time I'm driving around town. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've yeah, gotten I a little point. bit more comfortable. And it, exactly. And I'm, I'm kind of weird because uh, as I've gotten older, I've wanted things just a little bit quieter, a little bit yep. softer. But the weird thing is my new Supra, new to me, is uh, has the loudest exhaust I've ever had on a Supra. It's like a four, <laughs> it's a four inch pipe all the way back. Wow. And it sounds amazing, does not sound bad, but it is wicked loud. And I'm debating like, man, I'm not 22 anymore. Is this too loud? I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, you know, I can only imagine if your dog and your wife are riding around with you and whatnot, like, are they having to go ahead and wear earplugs at some point? Because that four inch pipe is crazy. Yeah, there's no drone like it's it doesn't Mm. there's never a moment where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I need earplugs. But, you know, when you get on it, when you're idling in the neighborhood, it's it is just loud. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Um, How does you know, how does it feel driving around in in, in the H town with, with it? Like, does does it handle everything as well as you'd like for it to like, you know, do you look at oh. I drive around. It's like, mm, I'm not sure I like this about it. I'm willing. I'm, I want to go ahead and change it other than the exhaust or is it from that portion like set up really nice? No, it's a, it's a really well sorted car. It's set up very beautifully. Uh, it makes all the power that you could ever want. Uh, suspension, drivability, calibration, idling, you know, part throttle. It's all, it's all perfect. It's a great, great, great car. The color I've really fallen in love with. It's a deep jewel green uh, Targa top. So taking the roof off, taking my wife when the weather's nice, it's fun. We we, we like it. And uh, I like, you know, that I can beat just about anybody on the street. Uh, you know, I can beat them to the speed limit. So, yeah, for sure. No, for sure. I, it, it's a great car. So I've talked about this multiple times on the podcast, but obviously since you're you're a new guest, you get to go ahead and hear it for the first time. Everybody else is listening. Probably heard it a hundred times. I don't care. I used to have a 1994 Nissan 300ZX. I had a Z32. It was my second right. ever car. Um, I uh, bought it when I was 19 and I owned it for three years. Uh, I put about 100,000 miles on it in those three years. It was- Wow, uh, that's a lot. Dude, well, my girlfriend, who is now my beautiful wife, we, her and I now have three three kids together. So uh, she lived. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. She used to live on the other side of my city where I used to live. In. So I grew up in Tucson, uh, which is just south of, uh, of Phoenix. And so I would go ahead and have to drive from the east side all the way to the northwest side to go ahead and go see her. So. Yeah. It's about it was about a 25 mile drive to go ahead and get over to her. So if I'm doing that multiple times a week, it, it added up. And, but it was still a, such a great car, and mine was also like a like a dark forest green. And it's oh, nice. a, it, yeah, and so like it had a tan interior, and it was T tops um, as opposed to a Targa. I had a four speed automatic, um, and it was the NA. It was not the twin turbo. I would have killed to have a twin turbo. Um, I think most of us would when it comes to a 300ZX, but there is something, and I think you can attest to this really well. Um, 
there's something cool about 90s JDM that yeah. never not got cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, for 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 our generation that was in like the childhood phase of their life or or young adult phase of their life when Fast and the Furious came out. Yep. I think our generation really just kind of has this close affinity to the JDM stuff. I mean, Supras, R34s, RX7s, NSXs, 300ZXs, um, Evos, Subarus. S2000s, everything. S2000s, oh my gosh. I bet he's got 100 grand under the hood of that car. (laughs) Jesse, don't do it. I bet you he's got more than 100 grand under the hood of that car. Uh Uh-huh. Turns out it's probably like 10 grand, but yeah. If that, yeah. Oh my yeah. god, that's that's uh, you know what? By the way, because actually it just happened. This this episode will release a couple of weeks later, but um, earlier this week we would have celebrated Paul Walker's fiftieth, and it's yeah. a, it's a it's a damn shame that he's not with us anymore. It'll that's be ten crazy. years since his passing uh, this upcoming November and whatnot. I'm since we're mentioning the Fast and the Furious, and you and I both have a very large affinity for it. You said that it's really helped you. Uh, developed your your love for car culture since you've grown yeah. up and whatnot. Who would you say, Alex, are some of your um, people that you've looked up to since you've been working to in in the automotive industry? I would assume that John, being one of them, of course. But uh, who else has, would you say has made Alex Royce be the type of car guy he is today? Yeah, um, great question. I haven't. I don't feel like I've really thought a ton about that, but that's uh, interesting to think about. There's definitely a few names that pop to mind. Um, I think my affinity to the car industry is a lot more geared towards business and maybe driving. So, sure. you know, I, I think there's a lot of great automotive CEOs to look up to. Um, I mean, the first one that just kind of jumped to my mind is, is Stefan Winkleman. He's currently the Lamborghini CEO and I've briefly met him at car week a couple of times and he's the nicest guy. He's always dressed to the nines. He's looking sharp. Hell in yeah, a he is. Three piece suit, European cut, European dress shoes. Like, man, that guy just looks sharp. And, um, you know, it's, I, I can't, I mean, I, I, I have not talked to him in so much detail that I really feel like I know him. I don't really know him. Um, but to have a guy that's been the CEO of Bugatti Lamborghini, and I really don't even know the rest of his, his career accomplishments, but, um, I, that's definitely a cool, cool one to look up to and just kind of know more about, um, other than that, maybe like, I mean, Paul Walker is, is a lot of people's just cause he was a great guy, cool actor in yeah. the, in the movies and stuff. Um, man, um, maybe a more recent one like Monte Remax is pretty. pretty Monte's wild. brilliant, man. Pretty Yo, wild I, dude. I I gotta mention this since you're on the pod, and I know that this interview went super viral last year. But you know, considering that we're talking to the COO of Hennessy and whatnot, I have to mention it. So big shout out to, of course, Mr. John Hennessy, who was featured along uh, on Top Gear magazine last year. It was the the kings of speed, if you will. It was yeah. John, it was Mate, and then Christian Van Koningsegg, and then mm-hmm. Professor Gordon Murray. Like these four guys, man. You know, and, and again, like just goes to show how far your brand has come along these past thirty years to go ahead and now be right. in that conversation with Gordon Murray, who built what's probably the most famous sports car ever made in the McLaren F1. Like that's pretty cool to Definitely. have to be, to be on that same realm and that same level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sometimes I definitely get jaded. Like I, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's when I take a step back and remember, you know, being involved with a brand like this is very cool. I'm very blessed to do it. And if I'm really real with myself, this is probably the biggest, most well-known brand I may ever work with in my whole life, uh, which is really cool. And I've gotten to do it at such a young age. So very thankful for that. Uh, And, uh, you know, I definitely get jaded to the fact that, like, I communicate 
all day, every day with John, who's a guy that's associated with, I mean, he's an automotive legend himself, but he's associated with automotive legends and people that are just like globally known. Uh, Cause I mean, he is as well. It's just crazy to think that that's just like a, a normal part of my life that I, I easily forget about. So yeah, it's definitely cool. It's humbling to be able to learn so much from somebody like that. So um, yeah, it's, it's wild. So it's cool to uh, remember that it's cool. If that makes sense. No, I get that. You, you talked about getting jaded and I feel like on a lesser extent, because obviously I'm not affiliated with Hennessy performance, but like, you, you talked about feeling jaded at times, especially like, you know, you work with all these fast American cars. So be, you like to kind of let cleanse your palate when you go home. Hence the reason JDM is such a big part of your, of your life and whatnot. And I think the same thing can be said, like if you go to a ton of tons of cars and coffees, right, let's say, and then you go ahead and see all these Lambos and stuff like that, you kind of lose the luster for it sometimes, but then you remind yourself and say, dude, hold on for one second. I'm surrounded by all this cool stuff. Like it's okay for cool stuff to be still cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think that sometimes we need to remind ourselves about that every once in a while. And it's great I, to see yeah. that you, you, you do like more often than not, like, especially uh, being so highly involved in it. I have to remind myself all the time. And I say this as humbly as possible. I, I've been very blessed to be exposed to just so many cool cars. I've gotten to drive so many cool cars. Uh, and I do have to remind myself, like when I'm at Car Week in Monterey, and I've been for five years in a row now, Yeah, I have to remind myself, like when I see a Bugatti Chiron on the street, just chilling, I have to be like, oh my gosh, that's really cool. Right. Like I'm just... I'm, I'm like jaded just by seeing stuff and then also jaded to buy horsepower. Like everything is slow to me and it, it's weird because I actually hate it. So yeah. I found that one of the things I love now the most about cars is sharing it with other people. So I've gotten a lot of seat time in a lot of cars, which is great, but now it's, it's more fun to share it with people to show people like what a car can do. I do the the ride and drives for like when we have clients come to pick up their cars or we have a potential client for an F5, I'll go take them for a drive. And I love getting to share what the potential is of certain cars, because most people will never unlock even a level five out of 10 on, on these cars, right? They're so yes. capable. They're so ridiculous. And I'm not even a professional, like I'm not going to even unlock level 10, but yeah. For me to be able to show a level five or a level seven or a level eight on on some of these cars and have the person in the passenger seat just like blown away to be so shocked that their new car is capable of that. I love sharing it, especially with young people. It's sure. so cool to see the look on a young dude's face that's just like so blown away of the cool experience that it's going down we're we're going down the track and it's fast and he's just like shaking in his boots it's awesome love that no dude it's 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 all it, it is I, since i've been doing the podcast i've been able to go ahead and have some of those like some of those experiences um not an nf5 yet but i would definitely like to go ahead and change that at some point but like you know i've got i've had the wonderful opportunity to go ahead and take out a 720 like a regular 720 you know this fast as all can be like yeah you really don't need anything else like anybody who says yeah. i need a 765 no you don't you're yeah, lying 720 is a, a serious fast car and is and is plenty fast for 99 percent of the world it's faster than anybody would ever need you're exactly right yeah i mean your supra is probably fast just enough fast like what's because how much power are you making with your super you making what like it's because it's not it's not stock so what like maybe like 300 or 400 the wheels times three. Oh my man <laughs> it makes like 1250 on kill you're kidding i i didn't know that you went ahead and went full kill on your two oh respect bro i thought yeah, he, i was like thinking to myself i was like oh he bought a mark four and he said i'm gonna go ahead and be chill because i drive no, way too on. much faster i should have no, known no, no, no. what's wrong with me what the, yeah. i'm sorry i'm sorry I'm never chill. no it's uh <laughs> it's fully built it's uh you know Billet main, fully built motor. 
Yeah. 76, 75 turbo T56 transmission, you know, fuel system, like everything is modified. It's, it's the, it's built the to power. the tits. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. I, 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 I thought that you had gone ahead and bought like, you know, something cool to chill around the streets of Houston and be like, I'm just chilling. Me. No, I'm just my wife and my, just and my dog. No. <laughs> oh, that's no, I, amazing. I, I'm so jaded that I need something that scares me. That's I need true. something okay. that, that spins the tires at 80 miles an hour that I have to respect. I totally get that. Yeah. I, you know, I'm curious to know, you, you, you guys work with so many different brands uh, over at Hennessy. You, you work very closely with GM and with Stellantis products and with Ford products. If it was up to Alex Royce, what brand would he want to go ahead and bring in to get the Hennessy treatment that doesn't all, often get it? Wow. I've really been, this is totally off the wall and we would probably not do it, but it'd be cool. I've been loving Aston Martin as a brand the last, you know, five years. Yeah, I think Aston Martin twip, as a brand. Man. Yeah. Aston Martin as a brand pre Lawrence Stroll, I think was in a major decline. I mean, we can probably all agree and look at some data that it probably wasn't doing all that well. Mm-hmm. And I think since Lawrence bought them, they have been completely reinvigorated. Their new stuff is absolutely sick. I agree. The uh, one of one Aston Martin Victors in my top five cars of all time. Wow. And uh, I would love to do some cool stuff with the Vantage. I think the Vantage is basically an American C7 Corvette. I mean, sorry, it's basically a British C7 Corvette. And uh, I think it'd be cool to modify. I, you know what? I could definitely see that. And uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that because especially since Vantage came out and then they brought out DBS Super Legera, now their engines now have, they're, they're no longer naturally aspirated. So you have something to really build on. Not saying that you didn't have anything to build on prior with yeah. the prior gen Vantages. But it's and, easier. It's already boosted. Exactly. I, I could definitely see a Hennessy. I could definitely see a Hennessy Vantage. Anybody yeah. who's a Vantage owner out there in the United States that's listening to this podcast right now, I think you need to go ahead and hit up Alex to go ahead and take your Vantage down to Hennessy and see what we yeah. can do with it. That would be kind of cool go. because, like, you know, it's a Mercedes powertrain and I and I and like easily, easily tunable, excuse me. Um, yeah. I, I would love to go ahead and see somebody put 900 horsepower in a Vantage like that. That would actually be kind of sick. Oh, that um, would be awesome. I, we've had a really great time, by the way, Alex, and I thank you so much. And I don't want to go ahead and take too much of it, of course. So I'll, I'll go ahead and start to get it wrapped up here. But I do have a couple final questions for you. Earlier, we were talking about, you know, you like, you you appreciate the Nevera and you appreciate what the EV market can do. I'm curious because as we all know, EVs are starting to become more prevalent as we continue on. And I hate to bring up this question, but I but I am curious to know how, how Hennessy is looking at it from this perspective. like. How do you see Hennessy being involved within the EV market in the next maybe decade or decade and a half? Yeah. So I'm a car guy all the way through and through. I love internal combustion. But the funny thing that you don't know about me is that I daily drive a Tesla Model 3. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Carry on. So, I mean, I've got about a 90 mile round trip commute. So I'm in the Mm. car. 40 minutes, 45 minutes each way. Right. And I really thought hard about what I wanted as a daily driver. Uh, I mean, and I I didn't want to go to gas stations and I didn't want to have such a nice car that I was going to get rock trips all the time. Cause like I'm on the freeway the whole time. Absolutely. If anybody's been out to to Houston, like it's all freeways and yeah. it's so spread out and you guys are literally on the outskirts of Houston yeah. Metro. Yeah. And like my my daily driver of choice would be like an M5, a CT5V Blackwing, a Turbo S Porsche, uh an RS6 wagon, like something like that. Right. I'm internal combustion all the way. But with the commute that I have, I didn't want to go to gas stations. I didn't want to be worried about rock chips or cracked windshields. So John actually bought a Tesla before I did. He bought the Plaid mm-hmm. and he let me drive it for a weekend while he was out of town. Cause I really wanted to understand like what it was like to just daily drive. Right. It could never replace a sports car or a pleasure car. It's an appliance, 
But I will say, as an appliance that just is getting you from A to B, the Tesla is the absolute category king of EV, number one. It's mm-hmm. the best that you can buy. Yes, there are things that you can talk about that fit and finish could be better. I get it. But the technology works. The car works. The charging works. The supercharger mm-hmm. network works. The autopilot works. Like the list goes on. The car just works. It's a great appliance. And um, to, to have a car, I mean, I drive 25,000 miles a year, every year. So wow. I don't worry about oil changes. I don't worry about, oh, uh, I got to replace the belt. I got to do maintenance and, and stuff that I don't want to do. All I do is make sure I rotate my tires and keep air in the tires. You don't even do the brakes. You don't you don't use the brakes. Right. So I say all that to kind of get into the EV thing. I do not think that we are as close to some EV takeover as the world makes it seem. Fair. You know, I think that there's a lot of politics involved in that and we won't get into that, but I we are not nearly as close as, as everybody thinks that we are. And right. especially as close as like some of the OEMs and or politicians are, are saying. Or I, they'd like for us to believe, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I think there's there's at some point the truth will probably be revealed about that EVs really aren't that good for the environment. And there's a lot of unintended consequences that do not get discussed about EVs and batteries and mining and all, all sorts of that stuff. So there is a future with EV. But I think the main thing that OEMs should be doing right now should be offering options. And internal combustion is still here to stay uh, for the foreseeable future. But people should have options, mm-hmm. just like me. I, I say all that, but then I still daily drive one because I think it is a good appliance. But right. if I had a different life situation, like if I chose to have a different job that I worked from home or I had a 10-minute commute, you bet you better believe I would be in an M5 every day. Like or it, just dailying the Supra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's more of a race car. I wouldn't I daily, know. but but yeah. you, you you get my point. Uh, the sure. future of Hennessy will always be staying in front of the curve, staying with what's great and popular and uh, new and exciting. Whether that's internal combustion, synthetic fuel, hybrid EV, it doesn't really matter. There's always going to be a desire for unique automotive personalization and customization. So Hennessy has a great brand that will be able to pivot for forever. I love that. Yeah, it's it, it's I love that because and I'm agreeing with you 1000%. I think that we should all have options. Don't push on the whole EV thing. Like I, I'm down to have an EV, but also down to go ahead and want to have an imbus, uh, con, in, internal combustion engine. Uh, I'm also down for hybrids and whatnot. So I'm completely in agreement with you. And I love that. I love that take on it. So I'll I'll leave you with this. I'm curious to know, this is going to be a two-parter. A, what does car culture mean to Alex Royce? And B, where does where do you see Hennessy's place within car culture as a whole? Because I think that's what's really yeah. cool about what you guys do. Yeah. I definitely love car culture in general. There are some aspects of car culture in the last feels like five years that have taken a left turn that I definitely don't like, Um, you know, streetcar takeovers and things where people are just getting arrested. You know, there was there was a day and age where like there was kind of like gentleman street racing and street racing. And like I do not condone street racing. I don't street race. uh, But there was a day and age where like people would just do it. And it was like, quote unquote, safe, right? It was just sure. away from everything. It was it was out in the boonies, like in the country, whatever it was, like it really wasn't that big of a deal. And John has lots of stories uh, from kind of those days. Fortunately and unfortunately, social media perpetuated a lot of that stuff and kind of spun off this side of car culture that's gotten really dangerous and really just like, oof, kind of, kind of not good. Right. So- that's probably the only little side of car culture that I'm not pumped about right now. Um, but that, that kind of leads me to say it's happening because there's not a place for people to go do that stuff. Mm-hmm. There's not like a, there's not a grassroots way for people to get their desires and passion out for car culture stuff. So, you know, 
my off the cuff solution to that would be like, you know, what Garrett slash, um, you know, Cletus McFarlane is doing, right? Yeah, of course. Garrett, but everybody knows him as Cletus. What he's doing with the Freedom Factory is kind of kind of to that. But if you took a, a big playground like that and you just gave people like freedom to do like go go rent this concrete pad that has concrete barriers and you guys go have your car meet and do donuts and burnouts and rev the crap out of your engines and do whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like if there was more outlets like that, it might help out the generally younger crowd to kind of get out their angst of like, I want to go do cool car stuff. Um, you know, I think maybe if we had more options for karting and serious uh driving and driving schools i think people would be able to get their passion out a little bit easier um so that's kind of my tangent about the the negative the slightly negative it's not all negative but just that tiny negative side of car culture but other than that i i love car culture in general um i love sharing car culture with young people like when i go to a a cool car meet and, and i'm able to talk with somebody younger about cars and like my story and I mean, I like encouraging people that have that passion to find their way in the automotive space because there's so many avenues. I mean, people can work with their hands. They can work on the business side. They can be designers. They can, I mean, we have people that are passionate about cars, but they are accountants, but they're in the car industry. So they love it. You know, like you can do anything you want within the car world, within the car industry. All you have to do is have some passion and kind of find your way. And I like I like helping people with that. Um, Your second part was regarding Hennessy and car culture. So I think Hennessy has been extremely pivotal over the last 33 years for American car culture. And then maybe in the last five years, we've had a lot more influence just in general worldwide car culture because the Venom F5 is a global hypercar versus like the, the Hennessy performance modified American vehicles generally stay, stay in America. I mean, they definitely get some global recognition, but the F5 is 100% global. We've got customers all over the world that have them. So... I think that uh, we are kind of like the the David and Goliath where we're the David. You know, we're always the underdog. We're that really, we're, we're the small underdog from Texas, the good old boys that just are going to bootstrap and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to beat people up just with our bare hands. You know, it's kind of, so I think that people look up to us in that way uh, sometimes because everybody can relate to being, an underdog. I mean, at some point, everybody in their life has been doubted, has been looked down upon, has been the underdog, has been uh, not believed in. And, you know, we love telling people that you got to thrive off of people not believing in you. You know, you have to thrive off of the haters. You have to thrive off of the doubters. So, uh, yeah, I mean, car culture is cool when you're able to relate it to actual humanity, you know, Mm -hmm. when we can, when we can have people inspired by car stuff and translate to their real life. That's a pretty cool thing. Dude. I want to run through a wall right now with everything you talked about. (laughs) Like, I'm like, yeah, let's go. Oh man. It's uh, so, and by the way, I'm sorry if I almost like blew out anybody's eardrums with me getting hyped up, just Alex talking about like being the underdog, but sometimes, you know, just that representation of what you just said, like not only is that Texas car culture talking, that's just, that's also just American car culture in and of itself. And I think that you guys have been at the forefront for, of it to me for a very long time. Um, And it's cool to see that you guys haven't lost your way and don't plan to do so anytime soon. Like it's really cool. And, and I'm not being sarcastic when I say that you guys, to me, are still you guys are still the good old boys from texas who want to make stuff go fast and at the end of the day regardless if you got a two million plus dollar hypercar at the helm 
you know, you guys just want to go fast just like we do. You guys are enthusiasts just like we are. You know, you still roll around in a Supra because of the influence that Vin Diesel and Paul Walker had on us back when we were like 11 and 10 years old. You know, and I can only imagine what John, you know, the influence that me, he may have gotten from like maybe like Carol Shelby, who I know was it, yeah. at the, it's it's interesting. I, I think it's fair to say to an extent that John is almost like the modern day Carol Shelby these days. May, may yeah. Carol rest in peace, you know, but like it's a fascinating dichotomy that there is between those two and, and to see him continue to flourish with the Hennessy performance brand, you leading the charge along with him and every, everybody at the team over and, and Sealy, man, just, you guys are doing an excellent job. And I, and I am incredibly proud and humbled uh, at the fact that you went ahead and spent some time to me, spent, spent some time with me today on the podcast, bro. So thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you for having me. It was fun to just talk cars. I mean, I could do it all day, so I appreciate it. And, uh, you guys better follow this podcast. Oh, dude, thank you for sure. And if they want to go ahead and, of course, um, I know that it's got over a million followers, but we're going to plug the hell out of it anyways. Uh, the Hennessy Instagram page can be found at, uh, is it Hennessy Performance, correct? Yeah, HennessyPerformance.com, TunerSchool.com, at Hennessy Performance on pretty much everything. So, yeah, you guys can find us. Uh, if you want to follow me personally, I'm Alex Roy's at Hennessy. Uh, shoot me a DM. Would love to answer and help you find your way in the car world. Uh, would love to help you out. So thanks for listening, everybody. Awesome, man. And of course, if you want to go ahead and check out that Supra, which is freaking nasty as all can be. Go ahead and look at it. He's got <laughs> several several reels of it on there and whatnot. It, it yeah. really is. A, it's a really special thing, dude. I, 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 yeah. I'm flabbergasted at the fact that it's got a thousand plus, but at the same time, not so much because well, you know, everything is bigger in Texas, right, Alex? Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, everybody. I appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Tormenting Tarmac. You can go ahead and follow Tormenting Tarmac at Tormenting Tarmac on Instagram. And, of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review. Leave me some comments. Shoot me a DM. Tell me if I'm doing a good job or not. And say what's up to Alex when you go ahead and give him a follow because he's the freaking man. Uh, that all being said... Uh, and by the way, shout out to the entire city of Houston. I love Houston. I got family out in Pasadena. So, you know, H Town, hold it down. H Town, holding it down, still tipping on faux foes. Um, that all being said, everybody have a great day. This is Jorge Aquino on behalf of Alex Royce. You've been listening to Torment T Tarmac, and it's the podcast where the enthusiast never dies. Bye bye. Still ballin' in the mix It's that six six long slim stick in your chick Pullin' tricks, looking slick At all times when I'm flippin' Bar sippin', car dippin' Grant wood, grain grippin' Still tippin' on four foes Still tippin' on four foes